And Father, what, what glorious truth that is. We take a moment right now just to pause in the silence. Lord, forgive us when we sing truth like that and then just skip on to the next part of the service. God, we just wait right now for a moment in your presence to let the truth of that sink in. Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord our God. The name above every name. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Father, it is that name that we willingly, I pray, would come under today. And all of its authority, all the praise, all the honor to you. I pray right now as we open up your word, your totally sufficient word, we would humble ourselves under its authority and pay attention to what you would say to your church today. Father, I pray we would not be like those who hear a word and then leave here, forget it, like we look in a mirror and forget what we look like, as Jesus says, but those who are cut to the heart and say, Lord, help. Lord, help me. Help me to live out your truth. I can't do it on my own. And so, Father, would you do a reconciling work in this place today? Would you do a sanctifying work in your church, a saving work in your church, Lord, that our anthem as a church, Father, as your people would be that it is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome. So I pray today you would strengthen us in that faith, in that truth today. God, guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say and have your way in this place. Turn our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our spirit to you, oh God, and come and meet with your people now, we pray. In the awesome and mighty name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, what a blessing it is and continues uh, to be as we have been going through our sermon series on the Beatitudes called The Character of True Faith. And I pray that you are being blessed and challenged even as much as I have been over the last number of weeks if we've been walking through one of the greatest sermon of all time preached by the greatest preacher of all time. Amen. Amen? There's a lot of good preachers out there, but nothing compares, no one compares to Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, and so, so today we are continuing on in that journey, verse by verse through, uh, the Beatitudes. And today we're in Matthew 5, chapter, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, on the character of true faith, what Jesus says is this, next one is, a merciful heart. The character of true faith through a merciful heart. Now, now, let's just make sure we're on the same page. I see new faces here, so we're going to do a little bit of a, a background check on where we've come. And if you do not have a Bible with you, you're going to want a Bible in front of you. So please put up your hand. Our ushers are coming forward right now to put one in front of you. Okay? And if you do not have one at home, please take that as a free gift from us to you so you can continue to study God's word on your own. Just put your hand up nice and high and our ushers will do that. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. Okay, so what's a beatitude? We've heard it a lot. We've heard it emphasized probably in a lot of sermons and whatnot. But here's the reality. A beatitude is this. 
The Latin term means to be blessed or happy. Attitudes that believers have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. There's the term for beatitudes. These are attitudes that believers are to have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. Now, now, remember, these are attitudes that are values of the kingdom of heaven that were embodied in the character of Christ himself and that we as Christians are called to be imitators of. These are, notice this, these aren't just external factors. These are internal attitudes of the heart. I love how the, in, as he starts off this wonderful sermon that is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes straight for the heart. Amen, doesn't he like to do that? He goes straight for the heart. These internal attitudes of the heart. Now, now quick reminder here. We don't live these things out so that we can be saved, okay? We need to be rock solid, crystal clear on that. We don't, we don't live this way to be saved, but these be attitudes are to characterize the one who is saved. They are to be the lifestyle, increasingly, habitually, of the one who is saved. Why? Quite simply, because it is impossible for us to do any of these things on our own strength. Let's just put that out there at the start. We cannot live this way without the power, the supernatural power of God. And so far, we've looked at the first four of the eight Beatitudes. And, and I love, I was so blessed in the prep this week of noticing this, um, how these are written. The first four Beatitudes that we've looked at express our total dependence on God. Just look at it. Matthew 5.3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is the humble. That's a dependence on God. And then look at Matthew 5.4. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. What's that? Repentance. A mourning over sin. Turning away from sin. Turning toward God. Again, dependency. Next one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness. Gentleness, self-control, that is power under control. We are dependent on the Lord to do that in us. And then last week we looked at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied, satisfied in Christ as we seek righteousness. See, there's the dependency on Christ for all we need for life and godliness. So that's the first, the section of the first four. Now look at the next section for the next three that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. These are the ones of how our dependency, that dependency on the Lord is to work itself out in our lives practically into the lives of others. So we take the piece of dependency. How is the humility, the repentance, the satisfaction, the meekness now supposed to overflow from that internal attitude of the heart into the lives of those around us? And the first practical outflow of a heart that is dependent on the Lord, really, ready, ready, is a heart of mercy towards others. That is the first practical outflow of a heart that is dependent on the Lord. First mark of distinction. A heart of mercy towards others. Let's get on the same page. What's mercy? We have a lot of ideas of what that can look like. We've probably heard of a lot of things. So let's get a definition. I love how commentator R.T. France puts this. You'll see that on the screen. Mercy is closely linked with forgiveness, but is broader here than just the forgiveness of specific offenses. It is a generous attitude which is willing to see things from the other's point of view and is not quick to take offense or to gloat over others' shortcomings. 
And all God's people said, ouch. Jesus just lays it down right here. Mercy is a short five-letter word, but it's packed. So just keep that definition on the screen, Glory. And I want to ask the question here is this. When's the last time you asked the Lord to grow in you a heart for mercy? As you approach him in prayer, that you ask the Lord for these things, for a heart of mercy. Is living with a heart of mercy a priority for you and me? Is it for us as a church? I mean, think about this. Jesus is a God of order, right? He put mercy at the start of the practical outflow. Why would Jesus, out of all the practical outworkings of our faith in him, put this one first before all others that he's about to mention? He puts mercy as the top priority of a practical outflow. Here's why. Here's why. Because the ability to show true mercy. Know this, loved ones. The ability to show true mercy is the greatest mark of distinction in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. He puts it first. The ability to show mercy, to live like this, is the greatest mark of distinction in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that? It's a big statement. Why? Because true mercy is not something that we can give on our own. You and I know this, apart from Jesus Christ, are absolutely, completely, and utterly incapable of showing mercy, true mercy, to another human being. That should sober us this morning, loved ones. And so that's why, as you'll see on the screen, showing mercy is the evidence that we have received his mercy, Christ's mercy. The ability to show mercy is the evidence that we have received Christ's mercy in us, for us, over us. And we live in a world, hey, make no mistake, just turn on the news, challenge you on this. When you go home tonight, turn on the news and just look. Would you not agree we live in a world that's crying out for mercy? Have mercy. Have mercy. But the problem is this. We live in a world that has no capacity to give it in and of itself. We live in a world that has no capacity to give mercy in anything that it can do. Any uh, development it can make. Any word that it can say. Completely incapable of it. And has no idea where to find it. Why? Because it only comes through Jesus Christ. True mercy is only found in and through Jesus Christ. And so here in this text, Jesus gives us two life-changing truths. We must embrace church if we are able, if we are to grow in a heart for mercy and live it out by his power through us to a world that is desperately seeking true mercy and where it can be found. Two crucial truths we must embrace to honor the authority of God's word. Let's stand as we read our text this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, that is Jesus. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to grow in having a heart of mercy, you must live with the posture of mercy through Christ. How do we grow in a heart of mercy? We must live with the posture of mercy through Christ. And remember, we don't just tag on that through Christ at the end of a point. It's absolutely crucial, those two words. As I've said, we cannot do that without him. And so look at verse 7a. It says this, blessed are the merciful. What's the posture that we're to live with? Here it is. If I could sum up this point, I'd say this. You before me. Blessed are the merciful. That means you before me. Now, recall, recall, that word blessed there, totally loaded. Greek word is makarios. Makarios. And there is not a word in the English language that can describe the full meaning of it. How do you describe in English words the supernatural, eternal, and ultimate blessing of God? Try to find a word that describes it. Okay? There isn't one. But it describes one who is happy or spiritually prosperous or even envied. It describes the state of a believer who is in in an enviable position from receiving God's provisions or favor in their relationship with him. They're in an enviable position that others should want to be in. And this is not just describing a, a temporary or fleeting feeling of happiness, but a continuous state of well-being, of well-being in a right relationship with God, ongoing, abiding with Christ. And Jesus says here that a person receives or experiences this ongoing blessing, here it is, when they are merciful to others. When they are merciful to others. Okay, we, we took a... We took a broad definition of what mercy is in the intro. Let's drill down a little bit to get the fuller meaning in the Greek right here. The merciful, the Greek term means this, full of pity, full of compassion, full of tenderness. One who possesses a compassionate heart that leads them to doing acts of mercy to relieve the suffering Just think of the, remember I told you about turn on the news? Just think about this. To relieve the suffering and misery of the person who is the focus of that compassion. In essence, the term blessed or the merciful means one who is mercyful. Full of mercy. Mercyful. To those around them. Now notice this. Notice something very clear here. Those who God considers merciful are not people who just feel compassion. It's not just to kind of feel compassion. Oh, I feel sorry for that happening. I'll turn the next channel. It's not just to feel that, but look at who God considers merciful are not just people who feel the compassion, but then act on it to alleviate the distress of the undeserving. That means, for examples, like forgiving those who have hurt you. Or showing kindness to those who are unkind to you. Serving and sacrificing for those who have not served you or earned it from you. 
and who cannot pay you back. It goes way beyond just a feeling of compassion. It goes to action. Why? Why? Why is that? Because here you see it on the screen. True mercy will always move us from feeling to action. True, supernatural, God-given mercy for another human being will always move us from feelings to action. If feeling is not moving us to action, it's not true mercy. That's why it's important when we read the Bible, loved ones, here a little biblical discipleship 101 When we read the Bible, it's really important that we make sure we have clear understanding of what these words mean and the intent behind them. Take time to study them. There's lots of tools available to help you with that, and I'd love to walk you through that. Jesus is not speaking here of those who engage in the occasional moral impulse. I'll just feel compassion or show some mercy when I feel like it. He's not talking about that. Rather, it is those who have a bent or a posture towards showing mercy to others increasingly on an ongoing habitual basis. Now, will, you guys, will, will we ever be perfect at this? No. Not on this side of eternity. All right? But here's the reality. For a mark of every true follower of Jesus Christ, this pattern, this posture, this bent towards showing mercy, being compassionate, kind, tender towards those around us should be increasingly habitual as we are conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ in our lives. But look around us today. Just look around us, loved ones. Is this what we see mercy being promoted as? You before me? Is it? Is it? The answer is no. We live in a world that says it's all about me. I'm the master of my fate. I deserve. How many times? You look, just scroll on a commercial. How many times do you hear, you deserve a break today? You deserve to be respected. You deserve to have people serve you. You deserve, you deserve, really? Really? Is that the message of mercy? Is that the posture of mercy? He said, it's all about me. Here's the definition of mercy in this world. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You help me, I'll help you. I'll do something for you if you do something for me. Or this, I'll, I'll show, quote-unquote, mercy to someone when it is comfortable for me, when it's convenient for me, and when it won't cost me too much, when the sacrifice just isn't too great. When I'm in my, quote-unquote, comfort zone, true mercy rarely meets us in our comfort zone, loved ones. And many times the whole idea of extending mercy has been reduced to whether or not we feel as though a person deserves it or has earned it or if we can be paid back for our efforts. And I doubt very much, you know, if we, if we seriously come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I doubt very much we're going to say, yeah, I do things with the expectation to be paid back by people. But, but just, I, I challenge us on this this morning, subtly, When we do things, the truth is, many times, we won't say that someone must pay us back, but in our minds, we're keeping score. I did this for you. I'm just going to put that here so when I can make that withdrawal later. I gave this to you. I did this for you. I gave myself up. 
We just, we keep it there whether we realize it or not. So we need to be on check and on guard against that. How about this? We do it in our marriages. Honey, I've done this and this and this and this for you. All I needed was for you to do one thing today for me. I do that. Does this sound familiar? I've done this for you. I did this. I did this. I expect this. Or in our families, I sacrifice for you. Like, do you know how much your mother and I do for you? You ever heard that? You know how much? You know how much we do? We lay our lives down for you. You know how many sacrifices we make for you? Shouldn't we expect just what's the expectation? Obedience. Can't we just get some of that back? See? See? Or this, in our work, in our relationships with neighbors, friends, whatever, or in the church, we so often we again, careful. Just because it doesn't come out of our mouths doesn't mean it's not percolating in there. The attitude of I'm doing this for them and if things don't go the way I think they should, then I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind on this because I want some payback. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. But here's the reality, loved ones. I was very convicted with this this week. Too often we're more set on giving people a piece of our mind rather than a piece of our heart. Too often. And I'm preaching to myself right now. And what does that lead to? Brokenness, division, alienation, pride, hopelessness, anger, bitterness, impatience, frustration. Because it's not true mercy. Jesus hits this directly in Luke chapter 6, 32 to 36, when he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And he sums it up right here. Here it is, all of that summed in one statement. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You know what we call that? That's the mark of distinction of a follower of Jesus Christ. That is otherworldly response. Is that what this world says to pursue? True mercy never asks, what's in it for me? It always asks, how can I, how can I love you? You before me, no strings attached. Mercy stops and stoops towards one who has nothing to offer the giver and has never shown favor to the giver. I was very blessed by that in one of our commentaries this week. And some of us may say, well, I want to I wanna live like this, but what does this practically look like? We have this idea, we have this truth of mercy we're commanded, but let's drill down now what this practically looks like in the day-to-day living out of our lives how do we grow in a posture of mercy? 
six ways. And these are, honestly, loved ones, these are just a snapshot. I just ran out of room. These are just a snapshot, but they're a good way to get us going. Number one, six ways we grow in the posture of mercy. Here it is, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because to live with true mercy is completely against our human nature. Because true mercy is always supernatural. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. You'll see it on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice where mercy leads? To comfort, to relief, to support. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. God the Father, loved one, sent his Son to be the Savior of the world because of his great mercy towards us. The Father of mercies. And he came to earth as fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life. For 33 years, he did not sin once. And he paid the penalty on the cross that you and I deserved. He swallowed the wrath of God because of his mercy towards us, not giving us what we deserve, which is hell and wrath and separation from God. Jesus Christ said, I'm interceding. I I'm your savior. And he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, was buried, and three days later rose again so that we might have the power to live through him to the world around us. Can't happen any other way. So let me just ask you that question. If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your savior, is it clear your need for a savior if we are to live with a posture of mercy? Just ask yourself, am I there? Have I made that decision? If not today, may today be the day. Six ways we grow in the posture of mercy. Number one, through Jesus Christ. And now every one of these is going to be an outflow of that. Watch what happens. I love this. Through Number two, through humility. Through humility. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Yeah, but what about that? Nothing. Yeah, but I could do that. Nothing. What about that? Nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. There it is, you before me. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Where is it yours? In Christ Jesus. See that? Only comes, it's supernatural, only comes through a relationship with Christ. So let me ask the question. Who do you need to humble yourself before today? Maybe to seek forgiveness. Maybe to repent of sin. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a coworker. Who do we need to humble ourselves before? The Lord. Say, Lord, give me the strength to do what's right. True humility says, always says, God before me, you before me. Six ways we grow in the posture of mercy. Number one, through Jesus Christ. Number two, through humility. Number three, through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Hey, do you know what the other word for kind there is? Compassionate. What's compassion? Mercy. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God, here it is again, in Christ, in Christ forgave you. In Christ forgave you. Question, who are you holding unforgiveness towards? If we're going to grow in a posture of mercy, 
we aren't holding on to unforgiveness. Think of that person right now or those people. When you think of that, you just kind of get that, that little kind of knot in your heart. Who is that for you? Are we willing to let it go today to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to forgive? It's hard. It's a process. But he takes you there because he's faithful. And I just want to encourage you in this. If you think, like so often we fall into the deception of thinking that holding on to unforgiveness somehow gives us strength. It doesn't. It somehow gives us control. It doesn't. If I, I heard an analogy recently uh, that said, um, unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and expecting the other person to die from it. The posture of mercy moves us towards forgiveness. Who is that for you today? Six ways we grow in the posture of mercy through Jesus Christ, through humility, through forgiveness. Number four, where does forgiveness lead us to? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Ephesians 5.2 says this. And I walk and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There it is again, as Christ, in Christ. Sacrificing our time for others, our talents, our giftings for others, our treasures, giving to those in need where the need is. I love how this came this morning. The determining factor of sacrifice is not whether it's convenient but the determining factor of sacrifice is always conviction. It's not convenience. Conviction to say, this is what the Lord promises to bless. I am called as a follower of Jesus Christ to love, to be compassionate, to serve, to sacrifice. And I, can I just say this? As I was prepping this this week, you know what came to mind? One of the first things. I love our service teams here in the church. The people who are praying over your babies right now in the nursery for God to get a hold of their heart, that's, that's mercy. That's compassion. The person who's teaching your kids in Harvest Kids right now, the word of God who's been studying so hard this week, I was so blessed by that. It's mercy, merciful. Will those kids ever give anything? But it's not the point. The setup team who comes at 6.30 in the morning so we can have a play, just, we're not doing it for thank yous. It's all over the place. The welcome, like, I just love to see the servant heart and the sacrifice in this church. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 4.1 says this, having this ministry, this ministry, right here, this ministry, the ministry of the church, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You see that? It's by the mercy of God he's given us the church. We do not deserve to be a part of it. It's by the mercy of God he allows us to hold that baby and to teach those children and to set up that chair. To serve with mercy is to recognize the mercy that we have been given. It's the mercy of God. And so often, it's so easy for us, so easy for me to look at it as a, just a burden. Six ways we grow in the posture of mercy through Jesus Christ through humility, through forgiveness, through sacrifice. Here it is, through encouragement, through encouragement. Philippians 2, 1 to 2 says this. So if there is any encouragement, here it is, in Christ, 
There it is again. Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There's the unity. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind through encouragement. Let me ask you a question. You know, one of the most beautiful acts of mercy you can do is to encourage someone. Not just to, you know, flip flippantly. Just, oh, I guess I will. No, but legitimate, authentic encouragement of them can be like a drop of water on a, on a dry and parched soul when it's coming from the Lord. So let me just ask you the question, who is around you that needs the encouragement? Parents, when's the last time we encouraged our children? Spouses, when's the last time we encouraged each other? That coworker in the next cubicle to you he won't, hey, loved ones, he's not going to get it. She's not going to get it from the world. An encouragement that will satisfy. This comes from in Christ, an eternal satisfaction. Who is it? Who needs that word? Can we humble ourselves to see it happen? Lastly, six ways we grow in the posture of mercy through Jesus Christ, saving faith in him, and then in humility, forgiveness, sacrifice, encouragement, and here's the last one for today, through prayer, through prayer, Luke 6, 28. You see it here, it says this. But I say to you who hear, this is Jesus, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And you know what the prayer is? You know what the prayer is? It's not, uh, Lord, bless me, it's, Lord, make me a blessing. Lord, be a blessing through me to that person that's hurting me. And everything in my flesh wants to retaliate, wants to walk the other way, wants to turn my face when I see the need because of what they've done for me. Lord, make me a blessing. So now just look at this list right here. And again, loved ones, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, amen? But just look at the list, do an honest check and say Holy Spirit Holy Spirit am I living mercy full is this the posture or bent that I am living with increasingly whether it's one area or all those areas what is it just bring it before the Lord he's so kind he's so merciful he's so tender so compassionate say help me be a blessing and let me ask this what are what are you consumed with that would keep you from living that out? What would stop you from living that out? Maybe it's, you know, things that numb us to it, like entertainment. I'm focused on Netflix. I'm focused on the computer. I'm focused on Facebook. And I'm just kind of blind to the needs around me. Maybe it's our hobbies we do. Again, these things aren't evil in and of themselves, loved ones. But they can numb us to the reality around us. How about maybe my job, I'm so consumed with it, maybe with students, our students here, maybe my school, I've just kind of, once I get out of school, then I'll be able to show mercy. No, God's like, no, 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 posture of mercy right in the class. Right in the class. Maybe my busyness or my agenda. I just don't have the time, I just don't have the time. Hey, loved ones, can I just encourage you with something that I got really rocked with this week, and it is this. Time is important. Ephesians 5 15 and 16 say make the best use of it 
Time is important, but, but people are precious. Time is important, but people are precious. They are precious to the heart of God, and as his children, they are to be precious to us. To see the need and to seek to alleviate it as the Lord leads. We can't meet every need. Not everyone can meet every need, but what does he put right in front of you? Because there's only two things. Hit me, there's only two things that last into eternity. Do you know what it is? The word of God and people. Where's our investment? Where's our investment? The merciful investment into others is always an eternal one. To grow with a heart for mercy, you must live with a posture of mercy through Christ, you before me. And in that, our final point today is this. You must have faith in the promise of mercy from Christ. You must have faith in the promise of mercy from Christ. The promise is this. Christ will give me what I need. Christ will give me what I need. Look at 7b. Blessed are the merciful. Here it is. For, here's the promise. For they shall no qualifying statement, they shall receive mercy. Jesus now goes on to give the promise to the one who's walking in mercy towards others. They will receive mercy from Christ himself to sustain them. They will receive mercy from Christ himself to sustain them. Now, the the word for mercy there, the Greek word for mercy is a bit different than merciful, what we saw at the front end of the verse. Here's Here's the terminology For this one, the meaning, the power to show mercy as God defines. They shall receive mercy. The power to show mercy as God defines. Not based on what we think a person deserves or should have. This is the supernatural mercy that God promises to give. This mercy is a gift of grace of God's undeserved favor towards us that is given from the Lord to his people. It is, honestly... Lack of a better description, it is otherworldly and cannot be manufactured or given by us on our own strength or through any possession, word, or action this world can give. Here's, you want want the best news? If that's not good enough, check this out. It will never and can never run out because it is given by God Almighty himself who is eternal. It is not based on how we feel in that moment. His mercy is unlimited and the more you give through Christ, the more you will receive from Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you are merciful, you will receive more mercy. A lot of people look at this illustration as it, like we're a cup and then God just pours it in and fills us up. But the illustration we have here is we're like a pipe and God pours in and then it comes out through us into the lives of others and he just keeps pouring and that's not gonna run out. His mercy is unlimited. You say, well, that's a big statement. How do I know his mercy's not gonna run out? Just look at Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says this, the steadfast, that is the eternal or enduring love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, eternal. The pipe's always gonna be filling up. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when you think, when you wake up, loved ones, or when you're driving into work, or when, you, when you're waking up and you're like, I'm so tired, how am I gonna parent my kids today? And how am I gonna do all this and, and go to my job? How can I show mercy again to my kids or my coworkers mean to me or the classmates who ridicule me for my faith or my spouse who we just can't get along with? How can I do it again? I'm worn out. The question isn't this. You need to ask yourself this question. It's not how can I do that, it's this. 
The question isn't God's unlimited, is God's unlimited mercy available to us? The question is, are we asking him for it and willing to act on it when he gives us to us? Are we asking him for it and then willing to act on what he gives by the power of his Holy Spirit? It's not just fill me, fill me, fill me, and do nothing with it. Are we willing to follow in obedience? I love how Charles Spurgeon illustrates this. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. Yes. What a picture. What a picture. Drain the sea of its water? Yes, come on. Put that picture in your mind when you wake up. And, and the greatest act of mercy God has ever shown was giving us himself, loved ones, by sending his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and lay down his life and die for us to pay the penalty for our sin. Greatest act of mercy ever. It was God literally not giving us what we deserved. Wrath, his wrath against sin. Separation of him for eternity in hell. Instead, instead, here it is. This is mercy. He gave us eternal life through the forgiveness of sin for all those who repent of their sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. And it is true, as James 2.13 says, it is true that mercy always triumphs over judgment. That's why. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love how Warren Wearsby put this. You'll see it up on the screen. Mercy is the bridge. Picture this. Mercy is the bridge God built to mankind. Mercy is a bridge that we can now, through him, build to others. Yes, beautiful. To build to others. And it is through Christ we can now give mercy freely and continually. No catch. You ever see this? When, you ever notice this? It's just embedded in our soul to think there's a catch. I go and, and, and snowplow my neighbor's driveway the other day. He's like, why are you doing this? What do you want? Like, it's just embedded. What's the catch? What's the catch? No catch, no strings attached, no what's in it for me. Because we have received his mercy freely through his free gift of salvation. And unlike this world, this true mercy will never tell you that you deserve the best, but it will always empower you to give the best to others. It will always empower you to give the best to others, Christ's best to others. Why? Because the basis for the mercy which we give to others is not how you want others to treat you, but it is based on how God has already treated you. It's not based on how they'll treat you. So, think of a person right now, loved ones. Think of a person right now that you know you need to be showing mercy to and you're struggling with that. Just think, take a moment. Got it? Got them? Okay, now here's the truth. You deserve, I deserve, God's love much less than that person deserves love from you. That's the truth. You and I deserve God's mercy much less than that person deserves it from us. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, remember this truth. When you, when you think of that, when that person comes up and the enemy wants to 
you have unforgiveness and bitterness and he launches an assault on your heart that way, I want you to remember this truth, this truth that will never change because of the God who is in us. You can say this, I can love you through Christ because I have been first loved by Christ. I can love you through Christ. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. There's gonna be challenges, loved ones. This is where we have to have faith to believe the promise, the mercy's on the way. I can love you through Christ because I first have been loved by Christ. We can say this, I can forgive you through Christ because Christ has forgiven me. I can forgive you. I can ask him to help. Give me your mercy, Lord. Help me to stand in faith. Give me faith to believe your mercy is enough for today and it's new and it's fresh. So when that painful thought comes in again, when that person is afraid, you can choose to forgive right there. It's true, loved one. You can. You can. Number three, I can extend mercy to you through Christ because Christ first extended his mercy to me. And because of that statement right there, that truth, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live. That person that would give into that unforgiveness, that person that would get it, give in to the selfishness and just turn or lose your temper or gotta give them a piece of my mind, that person's dead if you're in Jesus Christ. Just letting you know. You have been made new. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You can by the power of Jesus Christ in you. He has promised to give the mercy you need. And this is why, so important, last quote of the day, the greater the recognition of our dependency upon Christ, the greater desire and strength we have to show mercy through Christ. The greater our dependency, the greater desire we have to show mercy through Christ. When we recognize our dependence, that's why Jesus puts the first four Beatitudes there and then comes in with mercy. You don't get to mercy if you're not first at humility and repentance and meekness and satisfaction in him because when your satisfaction's in Jesus Christ, your satisfaction is not based on how that person responds to you. And our flesh will fight, loved ones. But his promise is true. Always. The question is, will we believe it and act on it in his power? And maybe you're here and you've never received God's free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, I want to exhort you in this. The Bible is so clear that today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You say, well, do I have to live up to a standard of being like totally forgiving and sacrificial and all this? The answer is no. The father sent his son to be the savior of the Lord because he loves you and knew that that was impossible on your own. So he said, I'm coming, but will you receive him? You can today. Confess our sin and repent. And confess him as our Lord and Savior. It's where everything starts. And brothers and sisters, if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, question to leave us with. Are you growing with a heart for mercy by living with the posture of mercy increasingly through Christ? You before me. God before me, you before me. Is that our increasing posture? And are we living with an increasing faith in the promise of mercy from Christ that God will give you all you need to be merciful to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your enemies, to your coworkers, to your brothers and sisters as you ask him for it. Who's the person who needs to taste and see God's mercy through you today? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its truth, God, and I confess, Lord, I, I can't do these things on my own. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, no spirit of condemnation, but Lord, a spirit of hope that you came and died for our sin to give us all we need for life and godliness, to see your glory, to see Christ exalted through our lives and into the lives of others. Father, I pray right now this would be a time of just healing and reconciliation. God, maybe people here in this room, whatever, God, just do your work. Just do your work. Have our hearts, our eyes, our minds fixed on you, knowing that he who has made this promise is faithful, and you will do it. In Jesus' name, amen.